Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I'm joined by my co-editors today, Greg Mitchell and Chris Schutte. We have lots to cover. The college basketball season officially tipped off on Friday. We had a full weekend of games. We had a few more last night. Lots of upsets, lots of statements made early by mid-majors from across the country. So let's just dive right into it. Uh, I think what we're going to do to start is we're going to go around and just talk about one game from that from the first four days that really caught our attention. I think I speak for many people when I say that mine was the Florida Gulf Coast 98-87 win over Illinois State. That one was, I believe, Saturday afternoon. Um, thing I liked about that on both ends, really, was just a very well-played game, very high-level, fast-paced between two really good mid-major teams. I think there were more questions around Illinois State, uh, given the departures that they've had, given the injuries. I know they were only playing with like eight players. There were questions about exactly who would step up for them. We saw that uh, Phil Fain and Keyshawn Evans both had really good games. And then the freshman, Taylor Bruninga, came off the bench to shoot four for seven from three. I think he was a surprise for a lot of people. And if Illinois State can get production like that up and down what I guess is for now an eight-man roster, you know, maybe they're going to be okay. They're not at the level that Missouri State is in the Valley, uh, but they can be competitive. And they were maybe the first team out of the NCAA tournament last year. They, maybe they don't quite equal that level of success, but they can be a solid postseason team and a team for us to watch as it goes on. Um, on the other side, Florida Gulf Coast, we knew that they were really good. There was no question there. Uh, my biggest takeaway from that was that even though Brandon Goodwin had his typical great games, no, there's never any question there. Um, but alongside him, Zach Johnson was just excellent. And it was a good reminder for me as somebody who isn't going to see Florida Gulf Coast play a dozen times this year, just because I live in New York and they're not available. Um, it's a good reminder that that team is more than just Goodwin. And that's what that's what it has to be if Gulf Coast is going to be, you know, a top five mid-major team in the country, which I think they are. Uh, so that was kind of my quick uh, two cents from that game. Greg, I know you had one in the whack that you wanted to talk about. Um, right? Was it? The yeah. Whack? I don't even yeah. know. What, what was your? Uh, game? It was St. Mary's New Mexico State. Um, yes. on a Monday night. And, uh, you know, St. Mary's is really, really good, and there's no surprise there. Um, obviously, with, with that game, they're the headliners. As much as I really want to talk about the WAC team, um, I think you obviously have to start with St. Mary's. Um, and the, the thing I, I took away, and I don't know that much about them, but Emmett Nahr, um, super aggressive offensively. Um, you know, he's been kind of known as a, as a facilitator, and he did a really good job of that last year. But, um, and I pulled up the stats here. So last year he averaged 7.1 field goal attempts a game. Um, in the game against New Mexico State, he had 16. 
Um, so he's, you know, I don't know if that's just a part of what they want to do this year or no. Joe Rahan on the team. Um, but I mean, he was, he was, uh, he was uh, getting in the lane and not just, you know, dumping it off. He was finishing shots. So I was impressed by him. Landale was, you know, awesome. Um, they're just such, they, they divide the floor so well. They're just, I, I, I can't imagine if you're an opposing, uh, a coach having to prepare for them, um, how hard that is. And then a uh, Kelvin Hermanson probably doesn't get enough attention over there as a extremely good offensive player. Um, from, from the New Mexico state side. And again, this was a believe an 18 point win for New Mexico state at the end of the day. Um, yeah, 92 or for St. Mary's, excuse me, at the end of the day, 92, 74, uh, New Mexico state played well in the first half, hit seven threes. And I was really, you know, and that's not sustainable, but for a team that had, you know, some rough exhibition games and then won by a lot in its first game against a division two team on Friday night, uh, but kind of had an uneven performance. I thought they, you know, had an encouraging first half in that game, um, especially offensively. And Zach Lofton, who was a swag player of the year last year at Texas Southern, um, is a graduate transfer. You know, he brings something to that team that he was, he was throughout as it went poorly for them in the second half, he stayed aggressive. He was able to make some things happen on offense. So, you know, I think for a team that needed a, kind of a, a confidence boost, and I'm sure they're not happy with an 18 point loss. Um, I thought they had some signs of life in that first half that they're, they will be a contender in the WAC this year. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with you. And just watching that game, even I, I would say even beyond just the first half for maybe the first 30 minutes of that game, they were able to really go toe to toe with St. Mary's, which was really encouraging yeah. for me to see. Well, it's interesting because you have uh, like, you know, I think New Mexico state, I don't think anyone would argue that they're, they were the more athletic team in that game, you know, but it just St. Mary's is, is so disciplined offensively. It's just that at the end of the day for a lot of teams, it doesn't matter, you know? Right. Right. Uh, Chris, I know you stayed up even later for the game that came on right after that one while I was being an old person and fell asleep. So if you could catch us up on Rhode Island, Nevada. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was probably the biggest matchup of any mid-majors so far this season. I know Nevada and Rhode Island are both teams that we uh, ranked in our top five of our rankings. Um uh, as far as the game goes, it was, it was close throughout. Um, it ended up being 88-81. Um, Nevada was in control most of the game. Um, Rhode Island did make a couple runs uh, in the second half to bring it within a couple possessions. Um, but the biggest the biggest thing for me was uh, just how versatile Nevada is this year. Um, they've got – they started four guys um, six, seven, or taller, and then also bring in – Caleb Martin off the bench, who was fantastic in that game. He had 24 points, uh, got to the line a lot. Um, Jordan Caroline's still a beast. He had 28 points, nine rebounds, shot a ton of free throws, um, which I really think kind of exposed what our biggest question mark about Rhode Island was going to be is just how they deal with the loss of Hassan Martin down low. Um, they, uh, they had a couple guys – foul out Cyril Langvin and uh, Andre Barry who were kind of their two main big guys. And that kind of started to wear them down towards the end, I believe. Um, 
as far as the officiating goes, I know a lot of people were complaining uh, on Twitter about uh, free throw disparity. Uh, Nevada had 44 free throws. Rhode Island only shot 18. That's not always indicative of how the game was officiated. Nevada was attacking all night. They have a lot of guys that can create off the bounce and make plays. Um, and then towards the end, something I know that um, was came out yesterday, E.C. Matthews, uh, I think it was his wrist. He took a he took a drive to the basket and landed kind of awkwardly and came out of the game for a little bit. Actually came back in uh, for the final minute. And then it was announced yesterday that he's going to be out four to six weeks with, I believe it was an, a wrist injury. So that obviously hurts Rhode Island going forward. I know many consider them to be the heavy uh, A-10 favorite. And now they're probably not going to have a chance to get some of those non-conference wins that they might need if they're uh, hoping to get an at-large bid. Uh, they have a neutral uh, court game against Seton Hall. They have games against Providence, Alabama, uh, College of Charleston, uh, Iona, and Florida Gulf Coast. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of kind of perform without Matthews uh, in the mix for those games. Yeah, so let's actually talk about that. Matthews injury because it's something that I think you could look at from a few different angles um, and if, if we just assume that he's going to be out for the four to six weeks and hopefully there's no complication nothing keeps him out longer that would put us right around the end of December for him coming back so maybe a little bit before Atlantic 10 conference play so you know I, on one hand you get him back, hopefully, for the start of the eight ten schedule, where Rhode Island should be the favorite, which is great for them. On the other, if Rhode Island does not win the eight ten tournament, they're going to need something out of conference to be able to point to, and this would obviously really hurt them. I don't think they were going to beat Seton Hall anyway. I could be wrong, uh, but that's a game in the NIT, the preseason NIT, and their second game would be against either Virginia or Vanderbilt, so there's another opportunity. Uh, Charleston, Gulf Coast, Iona, those are games that could really prop up their numbers. So not having Matthews, again, is going to hurt. Um, but one thing that's interesting about this Rhode Island team, and we had a um, kind of a guest contributor write about this a few weeks ago, is that they're so deep in the backcourt that maybe they can get by without him for a little bit. Obviously, nobody's going to replace E.C. Matthews. He's a he's probably the best player in the, or maybe second best player in the Atlantic 10. Um, but they still have a backcourt with Jared Terrell, Stanford Robinson, Jeff Doughton, uh, Jarvis Garrett. And then their, uh, their freshman, Fats Russell, yeah, played Fats, a few yeah. quality minutes. Yeah. yeah, he was nice. Um, yeah, so they have some pieces there where they can win some games without Matthews. I think it's just a question of how much they can kind of fill that gap against some really good teams coming up. And, uh, you know, as we've seen, the selection committee does not tend to give mid-majors the benefit of the doubt at all. If Rhode Island was a power five team, you know, you might be hearing on Selection Sunday, well, we have to remember that they played six weeks without E.C. Matthews, so we have to maybe look at those losses a little bit differently. I don't think that's going to happen for a Rhode Island 
Um, so they are going to have to figure things out rather quickly. And we're, I think, yeah, at this point, you know, without, without him, I don't know what Jalen Adams um, injury status is. I haven't, haven't read about that. And then um, Lamar Kimball, that's like three of the, you know, I don't know, top 10 players in a, in the A-10 that are, have injury concerns right now and, you know, is already a wide open league. So I think that's kind of interesting as well. Yeah, I, I think Adams was only supposed to miss that one game. Uh, ended up being a loss to Niagara, a game you really can't lose. Um, but uh, Bonner plays Maryland Eastern Shore tonight, so we'll see if he plays. I think he's supposed to. Um, but, yeah. Um, let's see. I know beyond the Atlantic 10 was a big first weekend for the Valley and for the Mountain West conferences. Of course, we saw Nevada picking up, <clears throat> excuse me, picking up that big win over Rhode Island um, in the Valley. Missouri State had a pretty good win. Uh, what did you guys see from those two conferences? Uh, starting with the Valley, obviously, um, I would start with, Indiana State's win over Indiana as much as it pains me. Oh, right. I forgot. How do, how do you not lead with that? Um, I forgot. Yeah. Indiana State beat Indiana. Beat them. You could talk about that. That's he's, th- he's, he's throwing some shade at Indiana going with Western Kentucky as the, as the headline. <laughs> I forgot. Um, anyways. Yeah. So they absolutely shot the lights out. And um, I wasn't, I'm not necessarily high on Indiana State. I still think they've, it was kind of an anomaly just when you hit 17 threes on the road. It's that, that doesn't happen often, but they've got a couple guys um, in their backcourt. They can really make plays. They can knock down shots um, and Brett and Scott and Jordan Barnes and the entire night they were, they were creating, they were getting uh, open looks for each other. Um, and I think if that's something they can do uh, and be able to compete in the Valley, obviously not, they're not going to be expected to win, but I think anytime a team that's essentially projected to finish towards the bottom can kind of prop up that floor of the conference. That just helps the conference as a whole, um, especially uh, come selection Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course we're going to have to maybe wait a little bit and see exactly how good a win over Indiana. Right. Ends yeah. Up being. It, it's, <laughs> it's certainly a marquee name. Um, Obviously, it probably isn't going to carry too much weight in the future, but that a win like that is something that can really kind of jumpstart a season, maybe get get a little momentum for you moving forward, um, build some confidence. I know they play. I think they play Auburn either tomorrow or um, tomorrow or Friday, and that's a program that's had a lot of turmoil off the court. So if you know if they can start off with you know, win over Indiana and Auburn, that's two power five schools uh, to open your season. That's the kind of, the kind of wins that can really kind of set the tone for a season that might go a little bit better than you might've expected. Yeah. And, and oh, sorry. Not, so I was going to say that, you know, the league overall right now has uh, two losses and that's it. And it's to UNC, which was a Northern Iowa and then the Florida Gulf coast loss for, for Illinois State that, that we discussed. And again, there's not a lot of equality in there necessarily, but, you know, I think for a league that's very much trying to find its footing, that's 
I mean, you have to win the games that are on your schedule, right? So I think that's a it's a, a great start. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it's something that's kind of come up a little bit elsewhere when we've done our nightly brutality posts about, you know, oh, beating this team just because they're in a power five, it doesn't make it a big upset. Well, it, it does in the eyes of uh, that school and that fan base. Um, you know, for, for an Indiana State team, for example, that's not supposed to contend for an NCAA tournament bid, this game against Indiana was pretty big deal for them. It doesn't matter how good the Hoosiers actually end up being. It's still a name-brand school, and it's still a result that the casual fan is going to take notice at. Um, so, you know, j- just because a Power 5 team might be down doesn't mean this isn't significant for some of these programs. Um, switching gears now to the Mountain West, over the first few days of the season, the conference has gone 18-3. and three. Granted, there are a few games in there against non-Division one schools. There are a few guarantee games. Um, but also some pretty good wins. We talked about Nevada over Rhode Island. Um, look at Wyoming. Uh, their first two games, they beat Chattanooga and Oregon State. Oregon State is a top 100 Ken Palm team. Uh, Chattanooga a little bit down, but still typically one that is in the mix. Their next game is against South Dakota State. So they're going to have a chance to really um, make a name for themselves in this conference. This could be a league, again, I think we talked about this on the last podcast, but it might be worth visiting again uh, just after this first weekend. It, this could be a conference that has maybe three NCAA tournament caliber teams. It's just a matter of if they could put a resume together to actually make it there. Wyoming and Nevada both off to good starts in that regard, and I would expect um San Diego State to be not far behind them. They did lose tough one to Arizona State last night, but they have some opportunities coming up as well. Yeah, kind of a quietly, I think Air Force had a nice start. Um uh, they had an opening win against Texas State, which um had a nice year last year and then beat uh uh Canisius. You have to tell me if I that is correct. that wrong, Russ. Oh, wow. How about that? Um, so, you know, for a, a program that has, you know, had a rough stretch here, um, you know, again, those aren't, you know, shining wins, but they're not non-Division one teams. Um, and, you know, playing those within the first week is um, not bad. Uh, did either of you get a chance to watch uh, UNLV uh, the other night? I didn't, but I saw that uh, Brandon McCoy just had a monster stat line in his first game. Yeah, he did. I didn't see the game either, but and again, it was against Florida A and M. Right. Still, I've got see, I've got McCoy's stats from that game up in front of me now. Twenty five points, eleven of nineteen shooting, eighteen rebounds, uh, three assists, two blocks. That's a pretty good game for your first career NCAA uh, game. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's kind of what we expected from him maybe not to that degree of dominance but um he's just going to be a talent that's just so much more athletic and and talented than probably a good chunk of that league yeah um i mean he is he is going to be an impact player and it was just so much 
It's going to be so much fun to watch him play a five-star recruit, a top 15 guy to watch him play in that league. Uh, definitely something to look forward to. I'm not sure how good UNLV is actually supposed to be. Um, but, you know, we're going to find out. They do play Arizona, by the way, on uh, Saturday, December 2nd. Even though Arizona is obviously going to be the runaway favorite in that game, that'll be McCoy's first real opportunity against a legit team. Um, so that will be one for us to look forward to as well. Is that a is that a home game? I don't have their schedule in front of me. Uh, yes, that is a home game. Okay. Uh, yeah, that'll be, that'll be interesting to watch. And then one more note on the Mountain West. Um, and this is something that I know we discussed on the site here. I think you talked about it in your weekend roundup, Russ. But uh, New Mexico, um, who Paul Ware, friend of the podcast, Paul Ware, um, it, he had has this whole thing. And there's a great article by Jeff uh, Grammer in the Albuquerque, uh, I believe it's a journal, um, is the name of the newspaper there, um, who's a great follow on uh, uh, Twitter, about how he's he's got this whole psychological thing he's doing with the uh, um, tempo this year where there's like a sign outside the visiting locker room about acute altitude sickness. And, um, you know, this, this, this is like a, you know, if, if you feel faint or dizzy or whatever, you know, seek medical attention. Um, so he's trying to push the pace this year at New Mexico. Um, and they had a hundred possessions in their first game against a non-division one team. And then 87 against Omaha last night in um, they scored 147 points in the opener against that non non-division one team and then 103 last night against Omaha. So that's a team that could be exciting to watch. I know Wyoming uh, plays really fast. Um, so when those two teams play and they first play on January 10th, um, that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love me some up-tempo basketball. I wanted to, I did want to try to catch a little bit of that Nebraska Omaha game last night because I know, Nebraska Omaha yeah. plays almost equally as fast, but I didn't get exactly. a chance. Yeah. yeah, it was like it was like thirty-three to twenty-nine with like five minutes left or something. I saw um, as a score update, and I was like, well, "That's so low." I thought I, I I expected it to be way higher than that, but apparently, in the end, they reached the, uh, you know, yeah. almost one hundred eighty points. Yeah, it looks like they uh, New Mexico scored sixty-eight points in the second half, so forty wow. points in the last ten minutes. So they really kind of. They kind of beat them down, which is probably where the 30-point margin came from. Yeah. Hey, one more uh, one more quick note on this league. Looking at Boise State, uh, 2-0, and won two games against awful competition. But Justinian Jessup, worth noting, is so far 9-for-15 from three in those first two games. I know he was a player that we kind of had on our list of guys to watch this season really starting off his sophomore year strong. Uh, so learn that name now. Um, he's off to a good start. Broncos off to a good start there. They should be a team that's right in the mix in this conference as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if guys like him and Christian Sengfelder can step up and kind of take that load off Chandler Hutchinson, um, that's going to make him a pretty big threat to Nevada. Yeah, let's see, looking at Hutchison, first two games, 20 points against Eastern Oregon on D1. I think I had 20 points in that game, too. Um, only seven <laughs> against Southern Utah, so they got contributions up and down the, 
up and down the roster in that game. Um, all right, uh, Greg, do we want to turn it over to you? It is Wednesday. Wait, I say, what day it's is Wednesday. it? It's Wednesday. It's Whack uh, Wednesday. I I feel like I, as much as I talked about the whack last week, I used up all my whack airtime for this entire year. So I should probably like you know save or whatever I have. But whack left. things happen, but the whack things did happen, and you know I think um, the Utah Valley thing is obviously the national story. Um, you know, and against Kentucky, that's 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 what we discussed. And they are they're not your. You know, a Kentucky fans probably never heard of them, obviously, but they, you know, they walked in there and they had experience, they had size, and I think a Cole Manyang, who who was the WAC Player of the Week, and again, he's the the um, seven footer who transferred from Oklahoma after after he got dismissed. Um, he he didn't have a lot of points. I'll have to look at his stats in the Kentucky game. He he um he did have five blocks in the Kentucky game. And that was the kind of thing that really stood out that, you know, that kind of presence again, I think is just going to be insane in the whack. And then he had a huge game the next day at a Cameron indoor um, with 17 points and a 12 rebounds, six assists. So, I mean, that's a guy who is a complete difference maker on a team that already had a lot of nice pieces on it. Um, They did finally last night, they went to Idaho state. So a third straight road game, Idaho state, not a great team. Um, but still after that, after the weekend they just had that, you know, it was sort of a, you know, hard assignment, uh, back on the road. Um, and they won that game 84 71. And the thing about that was they got 27 points from Jake, uh, Toulson, who is the, the cousin, I believe of a Connor Toulson, who was on the team last year. Um, and he's a good slasher and kind of the thing you know, if you look at them, they have a lot of nice players. They don't maybe have a guy who's a go-to scorer necessarily on the a perimeter. So if he is that guy, um, and again, he's a sophomore. This is his first year there, and I believe he is a BYU transfer. Um, yes, he is. Um, that would be a huge uh, development for them. So, you know, I extolled the virtues of a Utah Valley um, last week. I think I was somewhat vindicated by that, um, and, you know, I'm – I still think that's a team that uh, could very well win the WAC this year. All right, you've got like thirty-five minutes left in your uh, WAC spot that we have allotted for. Okay, you. So is that so it? So <laughs> let's start with the bottom. Let's let's start, let's talk about Chicago State for a second here. <laughs> Who did get their first win last night? So let's 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 throw that right, in there. Congrats to but, Chicago State. Um, that's right. That's and, right. Uh, in all seriousness, there are just a couple of quick things. That I did want to get to before um, we get to the fun stuff, which is uh, trivia, of course. Um, one of them is, you know, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday, just knowing how I procrastinate and how this just tends to take longer than it should to actually put together. This probably will go up on Thursday. Um, and if you are listening to this on Thursday, either on your way into work, if I'm lucky enough to get this up by then or at work while you're wasting time, just know that there are some really good games on the schedule tonight or today. Illinois State is playing South Carolina at 1130. That's a Feast Week tournament game. Can't remember which one. Uh, Auburn, Indiana State, also a morning game. 
afternoon, Old Dominion's playing Temple. Um, let's see, there's uh, Virginia Tech, St. Louis in the 2K Classic. I'll be at that one tonight at Madison Square Garden. Really looking forward to that. Um, you know, we had kind of a slow start to the week in terms of, you know, good mid-major games. That's about to change because of these Feast Week tournaments. Uh, Belmont, Middle Tennessee, also a really good one coming up at 7.30. So lots on the schedule. Stay tuned on the site. We'll have, hopefully, some recaps, some brutality, all of that. This is going to be a really, really good schedule. And that reminds me, if you are listening to this before 11 a.m. on Thursday, again, if you are, that means I did something right, uh, which is unlikely. But remember to enter the Silver Sword. You have just a few hours left to do so. We have already passed the number of entrants we had last year, which is about double what we had the year before. So we're off to a really good start in that. Uh, Matt Norlander filled out his entry yesterday and filled out his name as Matt better than Steinberg Norlander. Um, so if for no other reason, play just so you could beat him. Um, and yeah, uh, I think that's pretty much all I had to say in terms of that. Greg, you had some trivia for us this week because Chris decided to be a nerd and go to school and didn't think about a trivia question. No, it wasn't that I was at school. It's that I was asleep. I didn't wake up until five minutes before we were recording this. Um, I, a lazy nerd. I, I did have something I wanted to touch on before uh, we got into trivia. And that's oh, just, yeah, sorry. I just saw your note. Uh, just how absurd David's, uh, Davidson's offense has been so far this year. Um, in both of their games, they've scored over 100 points. Uh, in their opener, they scored 110 against Charleston Southern. And then uh, last night, they scored 108 against UNC Wilmington. And the most impressive thing is that they're not playing at a breakneck pace uh, that some might think. Against Charleston Southern, they scored 1.57 uh, points per possession against you. Is UNC. that good? Uh, my sources are telling me that that is in fact good. Um, against UNC Wilmington, they scored uh, 1.46 per possession. <laughs> Peyton Aldridge had 37. Um, they've got three guys averaging over 20 points per game. Um, I, I haven't had a chance to watch them yet. They do play at Nevada next week. That's it's going to be a game that I absolutely oh, hell uh, yeah. intend. Um, if you go to their Ken Palm page, some of the it's obviously early in the season, but some of their metrics are just absolutely that that uh, uh, turnover percentage. It's ridiculous. incredible! Uh, wow, the first in the country in turnover percentage. They're turning it over on less than five percent. Uh, <laughs> effective field goal percentage of sixty-seven percent. They, I think, they're shooting the most threes in the country. Um, in terms of the percent of there's yeah, it says about 62% of their shots are coming from three, <laughs> which th- this is, that's my kind of basketball. That's yeah. That is what I look for in a basketball team. And I think Peyton Aldridge kind of gets a little bit forgotten about in terms of the great scores in college basketball, especially from the mid major ranks. A lot of people talk about, you know, Mike Dom, Chris Clemens, Tyler Hall, um, Aldridge, Aldridge can fill it up. He's averaging 27 and a half points through two games. So he's, he might be gunning for that crown too. 
Yeah, and a, a couple other notes from Davidson as well. Uh, John Axel Gudmundsson, the uh, guy from Iceland, one of the great names. Fantastic name. Uh, 24 points in that Charleston Southern game, 19 against Wilmington, 8 of 12 on the season from three. So he's one of the guys. And then Kellen Grady, the freshman from Boston, Massachusetts. How's this? His first career game. 23.7 of 10 shooting from three. I think uh, Davidson not, has some weapons. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I pulled up his offer sheet right now. He had offers, according to ESPN, from a Creighton, Northwestern, Rhode Island, Richmond. And that's a player right there. Yeah. That's, I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I did have a John Axel Goodmanson in as one of my potential breakout players. And whenever I, wrote that article. So I'm, I'm going to take credit for his success early on. Was this a breakup uh, of players from Iceland or from everywhere? <laughs> everywhere. I, I, I try to okay, good. try to include all, all regions of the world. That's good. Okay, good, good. That, that's, that's all I had on Davidson. I just wanted to bring their offensive prowess to the forefront before. That sounds like something we should write about. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a thing right there. I'm actually yeah. thinking about maybe doing it this week. So if you're reading this before, probably Friday, stay tuned. I might have something on Davidson for you to read tomorrow. Oh, I, that would be cool. That is the kind of basketball that I enjoy watching. And now I will go out of my way to watch Davidson play, which I Absolutely. can't really say I was going to do before January. So that is exciting. So now they'll they'll just lay a complete dud against Nevada, score like sixty points or something, and waste we'll two hours of my time. Yeah. <laughs> all right, you want to get to get to trivia? Hell yes! I warned you guys it's not it's not a good one. Um, but so of the teams that we define as mid major, um, which I'm I'm hoping you guys are not offended that I just use that term. Of all places, I hope this is the one. This is the one place. <laughs> this is a safe space for offending anyone. Okay, good. I'm glad. So we know that the last school that we define as a mid-major uh, to win an NCAA championship was UNLV, right, in 1990. I thought it was Villanova in 2016. Uh, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, who was the first school that we define as mid-major uh, to win the national championship? I think I might know this. Is it Wyoming? It is, in fact, Wyoming in 1943. <laughs> uh, that, my guess would have been uh, UTEP, the Glory Road team. And, that, and that, that's what I thought as well. There were actually, let's see here, a number of schools that we define as been major between Wyoming in 1943 and UTEP and I believe that's at 1966? Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, in 1966, Texas Western. Um, can you guys name any of those schools? There are... One, two, three, and then a fourth that's no longer um, at this level. Can you name any of those no, teams? Well, I know what that fourth is. Yeah. Obviously, that would be CCNY. Mm-hmm. And that was in 1950. Yeah. There are three other teams between 1943 and 1966. Holy Cross. That we define as a mid-major. That is one of them. There are two others. So one of those won it. Yeah, they won it back to back, and then there is a third team that won in 1963 that is especially relevant for my purposes at this moment. All right, so we're thinking a whack school. UMKC. 
No, not you. <laughs> is it Grand Canyon? <laughs> it's not, yes, it is. They are, they are number one, and they were number one in 1963. <laughs> now, it is a team that is playing at a wax school tomorrow night in a, histor- in a historic arena God, in the middle of the country. You expect me to know these the wax schedule off the top of my head. Uh, it is a team that we discussed. It is Loyola Chicago uh, in 1963, which, interestingly enough, as I was reading about them yesterday, that is the only Division One championship for men's basketball in from a team in the state of Illinois ever. 1963 Loyola. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Because U of I doesn't have one, no. and that would that'd be the one I guess that hey, you know, would have. Paul's been to the Final Four. They have, yeah. Northwestern's been People to the just... NCAA tournament once. <laughs> People forget. So that is that is your question, which um, I'm impressing you with that, Russ, because I had I would have had no idea. So I'll, I'll tell you why I know that. Um, it's because I've done that Sporkle quiz of name every NCAA tournament mm. champion. <laughs> there you go. So there you I go. know the random ones. That's how I knew that. I knew CCNY for obvious reasons because I'm a Division three basketball freak. Um, I knew Holy Cross because I wrote about that documentary about that team uh, last year, Purple Rain. Um, and then I knew San Francisco won back-to-back because I know college basketball and I know San Francisco used to be good. Bill Russell, baby. Yep. Bill Bustle. Okay. <laughs> score that, the score of that 1943 game was 46-34. to 34. Oh, oh that's Which gross. was an uptick good in the 1941 basketball. final. 1941 final between Wisconsin and Washington State was 39 to 34. Oh, yeah, I don't I don't know how basketball existed before the shot clock and three point line. Like, what? It didn't uh, exist very well. What was that triple overtime game? There was one around there that went three overtimes and had a really low score. Uh, let's see, I think they are. Let's see, it it, it was 1957 North Carolina in a team that shall not be mentioned. 54 to 53. <laughs> They're going to triple overtime now, against the Jayhawks. Now, see, instead of editing this podcast, I'm going to spend the rest of my day like on YouTube finding videos of those games. Oh, yeah. As you should. I cannot think of a worse way to spend my day than watching <laughs> gra- <laughs> grainy footage of of people trying to hit a set shot from six feet away. I'm going to do my power rankings of the best players from the 1955 NCAA tournament, and you're all going to read it. I'll throw some traffic at that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, th- I'll throw it a retweet. Oh, well, well, that's 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 really relevant for our purposes because that final was San Francisco and LaSalle. So. Oh, okay. Oh. The 1955 iterations of us would have been all over that. Yeah. Uh, Dr. John Giannini scored 30 points in that game. <laughs> Exciting stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, anything else we want to get to? Uh, not, right. not right now. I like this. This is a nice quick podcast where we didn't ramble on and on for hours. It's going to make the editing probably a little bit easier. I like it. So that's what we're going for. All right. Um, so I guess we'll try to do this again 
next week. Let's see how long we could stay on the, a once a week pattern. I think our record is three consecutive weeks. Yeah, uh, we're almost there. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah, what, number two. two, two in a row. Yeah, and now that we have games to talk about, like it, it should only be, it should only get easier. All right. Yeah, we don't have to rehash who the favorites in the Missouri Valley are going to be every single every single week. Is it still Missouri State? It's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yes, it's probably Missouri State. All right. Oh, by the way, uh, Indiana plays Seton Hall tonight. Can't wait for that. Uh, yeah, that's that's gonna get ugly. <laughs> I should I shouldn't be talking as UConn almost lost to Stony Brook last night. Hey, if you if we get it up before Wednesday, uh, mid major game to watch tonight is gonna be BYU at Princeton. So oh, there's your fun. there's your game of the night. That's a home and home, right? Princeton went there last year. They did, yeah. I remember that. Oh, that that'll be. I can't remember if it was a good game or not. I remember I watched it and I was really excited for it. I want to say I was a little bit underwhelmed, but I don't. I don't remember. But still, that should be an exciting game. I completely agree, Chris. All right. Well, I guess we'll get the hell out of here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Mid Major Madness podcast. For Chris and Greg, I'm Russ. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>